It's good. So one of the many lessons that parents, every parent, needs to teach their, their kids as they disciple them toward maturity, toward adulthood, is this simple reality. Are you ready for it? Life isn't fair. Parents, have you ever had to deal with that inside of your home? Life isn't fair. The earlier that we can help our kids to understand that simple but true reality, the better off uh, everybody is, right? We, we understand that we have to teach them this reality because there is something deeply ingrained in all of us that just wants things to be fair, right? As you're raising your kids, they just wanted it to be fair when it came to the amount of ice cream that each of the siblings got in their ice cream bowl, right? Fairness was all that they were looking for when it came to the size and number of Christmas gifts, right? And that didn't stop then as they, as they began to get older. They just wanted it to be fair when it came to who got the new smartphone first, it's just got to be fair. And then as they got older, right, your kids, our kids, they just, they wanted fairness across the board when it came to, to things like dating age and curfew times. They, they just want it to be fair. And as parents, we teach and have to teach our kids that life isn't fair in different ways, really at every stage of life. But then as we get older and we begin to think about our own life, we don't use the, the word fair, but we wrestle with the same struggle. We, we like and want things to be fair, but we don't necessarily use that term. That, that term seems juvenile. That's not fair, seems a little childish. We'll, we'll exchange that word fair for another word that we're going to talk about today. It's not the word fair. We as adults often use the word just. Just. See, whether you consider yourself religious or irreligious, whether you would call yourself a conservative or a progressive, whether you're in the room today or you're young or a little bit older, you have inside of you this deep-seated desire, this deep-seated need, this longing for justice. Justice. Why is that? Why is that? Let's think about it. Well, I think part of the reason is, is that justice makes us all feel like there is order and meaning to the world. Justice has the opportunity to give us a, a sense of control and maybe even a sense of peace. When we see or experience what we believe is something that we deem to be unjust, what happens? Well, if you're normal, it bothers us bugs us. And why does it bug us? Why is it that when we see or experience injustice around us that we just don't like it? Well, I think it might point back to this longing that exists inside of us for a world the way that God intended and that one day he will ultimately restore and, and, and really, since right now, 
We're living between God's original design where everything was just and everything was uh, selah, everything was, or shalom, everything was peace the way, uh, the way that it's supposed to be. And, and we're living in between that time and then the time where God will make everything as it should be. It can feel, and I'm just being honest, right? It can feel like, it can seem as though that God isn't always operating according to our rules of justice. Amen? Or like, at least acknowledge, like that's true. It seems as though God isn't operating by my rules of what I think justice ought to be. So this morning, we're going to look at a kingdom parable. If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 20. If you need a Bible, stop at the First Impressions desk, grab one on your way out, and the verses will be up on the screen here in just a little bit. But we're going to look at a kingdom parable. We're in this series called Kingdom Stories, where Jesus addresses this frustration that we all feel from time to time. He addresses it head on. This parable will help anyone Who has ever asked, God, why? Why did this happen to me? God, why did this happen to them? God, it doesn't seem fair. Or in our language, God, it just doesn't seem just. It doesn't seem just what's going on. The the story today will also help us think about and wrestle with the, 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 the idea that we often, if, if we're not careful, and, and, and I think we're all guilty of it, but I think we often relate or we try to relate to God in a way that he does not want us to relate to him. See, when we get to the end of the message, there's a, there's a, there's a question that I'm going to ask, and we're going to wrestle with this question during the whole message, and then I'm going to ask you again at the end of the message, And I want you to really wrestle with this. And this is the question. It has to do with how we relate to, how we we approach our our walk with God. And here's the question. It'll be up on the screen. We want to ask this. Is my relationship with God transaction-based or trust-based? And how you answer that question will help you navigate through those moments It will help you through those moments when it seems as though, and I say seems as though because that's only our limited human finite minds processing what's going on around us, when it seems as though God isn't being just, when it seems as though God isn't being fair. Matthew chapter 20 is where we find the parable. But before we read the parable, it's important to go back and think through why Jesus told this particular parable at this time. And if you were to go back up into Matthew 19, he had just had an encounter with uh, a young man who was known as a, the rich young ruler. And, and he was, as, he's, as he has described, he was rich, he was young, and he had power. He had everything going for him. And he went to Jesus one time, and he approached him, and he said, Jesus, I have a question for you. And, and you can read chapter 19 for yourself, the story. But he asks Jesus this question. He says, what good deed must I do to have or to inherit eternal life? What good deed must I do to inherit 
eternal life. What the young ruler was trying to do is he was trying to get into an agreement with, with Jesus. He tried to negotiate a contract. He tried to strike a deal. He said, look, if I do certain things, my expectation is that you will do certain things. So just level with me, Jesus. Tell me how many and what kind of deeds I need to do so that you will give to me what I'm looking for from you, eternal life. I do this deed, you do that, right? You give me eternal life. And, and here's the sad reality, 2,000 years later, people are still asking and living as though that is a good question, as if that is the right question. We still ask God, God, what kind of things must I do to get what I want from you? Just tell me. Give me a list. I'll, I'll check the list. I'll, I'll go through the list. Just tell me what I need to do so that I can get what I want from you. And, and we know this, right? When you hear it, you can say, that's a transactional mentality. That, that, that's not right, and, and we can recognize in a sermon that that mentality is antithetical. It's just the opposite of, of what the gospel is all about. But again, if we're honest, when we're going through certain things or when we want certain things, we can very easily slip into this mentality where we try to contract with God. See, after the rich young ruler walks away sad because of his great riches, Jesus presses in with his disciples and he reminds them that, that, that in reality it's the riches of this world that often keep people from entering into his kingdom. Why is that? Well, it's because they think that they can buy their way in. Not with money, but with good deeds. Good deeds. So it's that context that, that we're going to see this parable being taught. I'm going to read the whole parable, but I need you to forget what you've been taught about this par parable. Because if you're like a lot of folks who've heard this parable taught, you've been taught that this is about people who get saved late in life. About people who on their deathbed turn to Jesus. That's the, the thrust of this parable. People who at the 11th hour put their faith in Jesus. And I don't think that's it at all. Because what you're going to see in the story is the response from people who didn't put their faith in, in the master at the 11th hour. They put their faith in the master early on. They get mad. They get upset. And I don't know that I've ever met anybody who gets upset at somebody who trusts Christ late in life. I, do you, would you get upset if you had somebody that you've been praying for, if on their deathbed they put their faith in Christ? Anybody here get upset by that? think that's not fair? No, you'd be like, yes, praise God, I'm glad. So that can't be the thrust of what Jesus is getting at at the story. As a matter of fact, I know it's not. But again, as we read this story, I want you to think about the question, is my relationship with God transaction-based or trust-based? And as we read, it'll be clear that one group in the story had a transaction mentality toward the master while the others didn't. And the response of those who had a transaction-based mentality proves that they were off base. So here's the story. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1. 
Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven, the reign of Christ, the rule of Christ is like this. It's like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After a, and, and early in the morning would have been about 6 a.m. So 6 a.m., he goes out, he looks for some day workers, which again would have been very common in that day, not so common here in, in our part of the world, but, but hiring day laborers is not uncommon in other parts of the world, and so that's what's going on. There, he's looking, the, 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 the owner, the master of a house is looking for some day laborers. He says, after agreeing with this first group of laborers for a denarius a day, a denarius a day would have been typical, common, fair wages for hiring a day worker to work for a day. He says that he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, now it's about 9 a.m., he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. Now, when it says that they were standing idle, they weren't being lazy. They were just waiting for somebody to hire them. Don't, don't read laziness into this story. That's not what's happening here. The fact that they were just waiting just meant that they, they were eager to work, but nobody came by to hire them until this master comes and he says, hey, go work in the field. Now, notice he doesn't negotiate a wage. That's an important part of the story. He simply says, go work in the field and I will give you what is right. I will take care of you in the end. <clears throat> Verse five, so they went. They started working in the field. Going out again about the sixth hour, about noon, and the ninth hour, 3 p.m., he did the same. And about the 11th hour, it gets to be about 5 p.m., he went out and found others standing. Now, again, if I'm a day worker and it gets to be about 5 p.m., I'm probably going to conclude today's not my day. We'll try again tomorrow. But these day workers were still standing, waiting to see if somebody would hire them. It says, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, well, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, now here's where the story gets interesting. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages. Have them line up. Everybody in line, here's the first group, the second group, the third group, the fourth group, just have them line up. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to start with the 11th hour guys. I want you to start with them. Keep reading. It says, and <clears throat> call the laborers and pay their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius, a day's wage for, for a day's work, right? It's going right. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. So as, as those, those guys who were hired at 6 a.m. were waiting in line, they started nudging them each, each other like, he paid them a denarius. He paid them a denarius. We've been working all day. I imagine we're going to get a handful of denarius. Like, this is our lucky day. This guy's a good master. He's going to surely pay us more than what he paid them. And they, they get to the front of the line, and what does... What happens? They're given what they agreed to. Okay, and, and, and on receiving it, verse 11, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, um, <clears throat> these last ones worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Their fingernails aren't even dirty. Their t-shirt's not even sweaty. 
And here we are, we've been working all day long. We're all dehydrated. We're all just nasty, dirty. What, what is up? But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? The answer to that would have been yes. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. I choose it. And then keep reading. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Last week, if you remember, we said that those hearing Jesus tell the story of the unforgiving servant, they probably would have been outraged at the unforgiving servant. They would have heard the story and went, that's just wrong. And we don't know, but I, as, as I read this story, I, I, I can imagine those who heard Jesus tell this story, I can't help but think that they may have sided with those first laborers in the story. As they're listening to the story, I can imagine some of them thinking, that's not right, that's not fair, that's not, that's not just. They would have said, those first laborers have got a point in the story. Again, let's pull back. We have this innate desire for justice. And I just, I don't, it's not recorded, so we can't say whether or not it happened. But I just wonder if somebody may have pushed back on Jesus. And if so, I wonder if he would have responded with, with this, like, really? You, you, you want justice? You, you really want me to give to you what you deserve? Full stop. Let's zoom out for a minute and remind ourselves that if God gave us what we deserve, we'd all be doomed because of our sin. Can we at least start there? Can we at least agree with that baseline reality? If God gave us what we deserved, we'd be doomed because of our sin. So, bluntly, when we have these conversations, when we wrestle with this idea of just and justice, we should remember and always kind of get back to the point where as believers, we're thankful that God doesn't give us what we deserve. Right? Amen? Can we at least agree to that? God doesn't give us what we deserve. See, the thrust of the story, or at least as I reflect on it, as I think about it, was that the first laborers felt like they were owed something more from the master. Why? Because they felt like they did more for the master. Even though in the story there was a deal, there was a negotiation, they were compensated for it. They ended up being disappointed when the master treated everybody else differently. And you see, that's the point, I think. See, when we view our relationship with God as transactional, we view it like a contract, we will always end up disappointed because at various points in our life, we will feel like our life isn't 
just. That things just don't seem fair. That we are not getting from God what we think we signed up for. What we think we deserve. On the other hand, if we can really focus on the remainder of the, lab, the, the laborers, if we can think about the 9 o'clock and the 12 o'clock and the 3 o'clock and especially the 5 o'clock laborers, we would be in a better place in our faith journey. No matter where you're at, if you can take the posture of the rest of the laborers who, when they were invited into the field, into the vineyard, they simply trusted the heart of the master. They didn't try to negotiate. They didn't come up with a contract. They didn't strike a deal. They simply believed that the master was good, that the master was merciful, and then at the end, the master would take care of them. See, that, I think that's, that's what we get from this story is that we've got to decide how do we view our relationship with God? Is it based on some kind of transaction? God, I'm going to do this, but I expect this. Or we just simply say, God, you have invited me into your family. You've adopted me into your family. You've, you've brought me into your kingdom. And I trust you no matter what. I'm simply going to follow you. I'm simply going to obey you. And in the end, I can trust you because you're a good father. You've got a good heart. You're kind and compassionate. And, and that's all I need to know. Is that our approach? It's interesting, again, when you go back to the story, when you consider that the master could have avoided the whole controversy, how? By paying them in reverse order. By just starting with the guys that, that, that went into the field at 6 a.m., give them the denarius, sent them on their way, right? They would have been none the wiser. But he insists on paying them in reverse order so that the first guys who worked 12 hours see that the guys that only worked one hour got the same pay. It's, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like he's trying to pick a fight. I don't know that, but it kind of feels that way. He's just like, I'll show you guys, right? But again, he's doing it to make a point. And let me just, let me just say, in case you're wondering, Trent, where are you going? I'm not going down this path. He's not making the point to advocate a new, like, Marxist Christian business philosophy where everybody gets paid the same regardless of how much they work. This is not, this is not a parable about business practices, all right? So don't read that into the parable. That's not what Jesus is talking about. See, the key to this parable, as is with all parables, is context. And Jesus' response to the rich young ruler and other people who have that, what good deed must I do to get eternal life, is this, and write this down, put this up on the screen. You don't want to be in a contract relationship with God. Why? Because you don't want to receive what you deserve. You don't. See, it's always simply better to simply follow the master to respond to his invitation and trust in his grace, just like the rest of the guys in the story did. It'll always work out better for you. 
to simply trust him. See, so many of our spiritual problems come from having this contract mentality with God, this belief that God owes us something, that we deserve something. So for the rest of the time, I want to tease out, I'm going to try to do this very quickly, five signs to help you determine whether or not you have a transaction-based approach to your walk with God or if you've got a trust-based approach. And I have to give credit where credit is due. These, these questions, these diagnostic questions came from a, a pastor that I, that I appreciate, J.D. Greer. And so these questions are not original to me. I'm going to give him that credit because uh, I don't want to take credit for something that I didn't come up with. So in this story, there are some, some things that we can tease out. The first thing is this, is this idea of bitterness. Bitterness is a sign that you have a transaction-based relationship with God. So the question that you want to ask is this, am I bitter because God has withheld some blessing from me that I think I deserve? Am I bitter because I think God has withheld a blessing that I think that I deserve? Those 12-hour workers were bitter and not getting more because they thought they deserved more. But again, what Jesus is getting at is everything ought to be seen as a gift. Everything in life is a gift. Go back to that, that statement earlier when we ask God, why is this bad thing happening to me? Why is this bad thing happening to me? As if we don't deserve anything bad ever happening to us. Now, I want to I slow down here because I don't want you to hear me say something that makes you think that I'm being flippant or callous toward those who have had bad things, traumatic things, horrific things happen to you. I have not and I will not. And, and all I can tell you is that's not the point I'm trying to make. All right? I'm not minimizing anything that anybody has ever experienced. But if we're not careful when we think like that, what we're saying is I don't think anything bad should ever happen to me. We, we would never admit that. But that's what we're saying. Bad things happen to good people because we live in a fallen world. But when we embrace that, that idea, it's easy to kind of take the next step from questioning God, saying, God, why do bad things happen, and happen to me? It's not that long of a, of a leap to get to, God, you owe me. God, you owe me this. God, you owe me that. And when you do that, you're going back into a contract relationship. That mentality. And that's not where you want to be. See, none of us really want to demand from God to give us what we deserve. Again, the, the greatest blessing that any of us could ever have is, 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 is forgiveness of sin. It's, it's eternal life. It's fellowship, it's connection with our Heavenly Father. And, and all of those things are ours when we believe the gospel, when we place our faith in Christ alone, when we make him the king. And the good news is you don't need a contract. You just need to make him the king. You don't have to agree on the front end to anything you simply believe, receive, you confess, and you place him at the center of your life. Everything else flows from that. So if we're careful, we have to wrestle with, am I bitter because I'm not getting 
something from God I think I deserve. Let me move on to another one. Kind of connected to it is jealousy. Sign that you're in a transaction-based relationship. Jealousy. Ask yourself this question. Am I jealous of the good things others have that I want? In the story, the, the workers are jealous of the later workers because they got something that they wanted. They wanted more. And in their mind, those later workers got more because they were paid the same thing for less time. So in their math equation was they got more than we did. We can fall into that trap. We look around and we say, well, why did they get that opportunity? Why, why did she get married? Why do they have kids so quickly? Why are they so good looking? Why are they still so healthy? Why did they get the job? And then in our minds we think, I deserve that more than them. Again, that goes back to a contract mentality. Tim Keller, he said this one time, I should have put it up on the screen, but I love this quote. He says, if Jesus didn't complain when he received of life infinitely worse than he deserved, how can I complain while I experience of life infinitely better than I deserve? We get jealous. And then, then there's anger. There's just outright anger, and specifically when we think about even praying, the things that we pray for. Ask yourself the question, do I get angry when God doesn't answer my prayers the way that I think he should? When we assume that God owes us things, listen to what we pray and watch yourself as you wait on God to respond. And he doesn't answer prayer the way you think he should. And we begin to think, but God... I go to church, I tithe, I obey the rules, I, I do the things that you tell me to do. The least you can do is answer my prayers the way that I want them answered. Ask yourself, when you pray and you ask God for good things, on what basis are you asking him? What do I mean by that? If you ask God based on all the good things that you've done, hey God, I've done this, this, and this. Would you do this? What have you fallen back into? That's a contract mentality, and that's foolish. Because if you're asking God to do something on the basis of what you do, you're not praying in Jesus' name. You're praying in your own name. You're saying to God, God, do this because of me. Do this because I've been good. Do this because I've been faithful. Do this because I deserve it. And that's just foolish. Two more questions, and we'll, then we'll wrap it up. Insecurity. What do I mean by that? Well, here's the question. Do I feel uncertain about where I stand with God or insecure about my future? You see, if you've got this contract mentality with God and, and you begin to assume that God gives you things in re direct response to what you deserve, what's the logical conclusion? Well, the logical conclusion is you're gonna live in a constant state of insecurity, because you'll constantly have to ask yourself, have I been good enough to earn this blessing? And when the blessing doesn't come, you'll ask yourself, am I being paid back for something? That's a horrible way to live. But that's what a contract mentality with God creates, is insecurity. There's no rest, there's no peace, there's no joy. 
It's just this constant, have I done enough? Am I doing enough? And when things don't work out, am I getting paid back for not doing enough? Horrible way to live. Horrible way to live. And then the last one, and this is one that you might just need to think about, but I think it's true. A contract mentality will create indifference. It will create indifference for others around us. So that question is simply this, am I moved to action by the suffering of others? See, when you believe that the good things that you experience in your life are the result of your hard work and your effort and your good deeds, here's what happens. When you see somebody else struggling, when you see somebody else falling behind, when you see somebody else in a bad way, your, your immediate thought can often be, they're just not doing right. If they did right like me, they wouldn't be experiencing what they are experiencing. It wouldn't be going so bad for them if they were as good as I were. As good as I were, as good as I am. And it creates an indifference toward other people. Again, that's what we see in this story. So, when you see that you don't deserve salvation, you don't deserve blessings, that Jesus just gives it to us because he is generous and gracious and merciful, it ought to change us. It ought to turn us into something different. So what I want you to do this morning is I, I want you to, to think about your approach to your relationship with God. And if you've concluded that it is at times or often transactional in nature, rip up the contract. Get rid of it because God never signed it. You're the only one who signed it. God never signed it. And begin to move from a transaction-based relationship to a trust base, from good works to God's grace. And if you're here and you're not yet a believer, that's the starting point of a relationship with God, is understanding you can't do enough good deeds to get it. You can't earn salvation. You can't earn your way into God's kingdom. And so stop trying and place your faith in Christ alone on the basis of what he did on the cross. Put your hope in him. But even for believers, those of us who know better, I mean, we believe the gospel. We believe the truth that Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again. We put our hope in him. Like we understand salvation is a free gift, but we live as though we've had to sign a contract. That's not what God wants. He wants us to simply go into the field at his invitation, do what he's asked you to do, gladly, willingly, with a happy heart, and then just trust at the end of days, God will reward you. God will take care of you. God will see to it that everything comes out the way it ought to. In, in humility, embrace the grace of God and trust in his goodness. And when you do, here's what will happen. Let's throw that last, or that second to last uh, screen up there. Your bitterness will turn into gratitude. Your jealousy 
will turn into contentment. Your anger will lead to peace. Your insecurity will lead you to a place of insurance, assurance, and your indifference should lead you to a place of compassion. So if you look at your life and your life is mostly described and filled with the things on the left, that describes you. Wrestle with transaction versus grace. Transactional versus trust, right? And, and, and desire and say, God, I don't want to live that way. I, I want to live a life of gratitude and contentment and peace and assurance and compassion. And it may begin by just admitting like, I've been approaching my walk with you poorly for as long as I've been walking with you. I don't know. Again, back to the opening question. Is my relationship with God transaction-based or trust-based? Because in God's kingdom, we trust the heart of our king. We trust the heart of our king. And that's enough. Is that enough for you? Let's pray. The worship team comes. <clears throat> These moments at the end of our gatherings are not just ribbons, bows the, to kind of close the service. These are a time, these are designed to give you an opportunity to wrestle with the truth of God, let the spirit of God do his work in you, and we invite you to allow that to happen. And, and what that might look like for some, you might just sit in your chair and kneel and pray. You, you might tap a friend on the shoulder and say, hey, would you pray with me? You might want somebody to pray with you, for you, over you. If, if it's that last one, then there's gonna be some folks down here, our elder team, some of our D group leaders. Somebody will come and pray with you. If you just say, I just need the prayer over something that was said today. Or maybe you've got something you know, completely different going on in your world that you need prayer for. But today, if God's word and his spirit has done something in your heart, we invite you to respond, however that looks. But if you're here and specifically and you've never made the decision to begin a relationship with Jesus, please give up on trying to earn it. Please give up on trying to sign and, and work out a deal with God. God's not looking for a deal. He's just looking for men and women who will surrender their hearts to him and trust in his goodness. And if you want to talk about that, I'd love to do that, whether it's here now or over a cup of coffee during the week. Father, we love you. We thank you for the day. We thank you for your grace. And I pray, God, in these moments that we would respond, that we would simply be honest with ourselves, honest with you over the truth that we've heard. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's, let's sing and respond. Respond is the word as God is calling us.